Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I was lost, bro. I didn't know who the hell I was. You know what I mean? And I was studying all sorts of stuff to try and find some sense of identity. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part two, and the final part for now of my chat with Jamie Rogers. Sentenced to 45 years in prison, Jamie is a former high-ranking member of a Mexican prison gang and someone who has since turned his life around. In our last episode, we heard how Jamie was involved in a gang-related shooting. Luckily, no one was killed. However, of course, he was arrested by police and shipped off to jail. While in the jail, he would continue his gang activity and actively become more entrenched in the gang life and culture behind bars. Until it was time for him to go to trial. So, yeah, no, I ended up going to trial. And um, they offered me... Uh, 10 years, three times, and I didn't take the deal because in my mind, I'm just like, I mean, I was just like, man, this is too much time for, I didn't even hurt anybody, you know what I mean? Like trying to justify in my mind, like, no, this is crazy. And so uh, I didn't, I ended up going to trial and then uh, I lost and that's when they gave me the, the 45 years. Jamie would have the typical jury trial where a group of 12 people would make the ultimate decision to find him guilty or not. The problem was there really was no argument that he was guilty of what he'd been arrested for. The prosecution held all the cards and all the evidence. To the point, there really was no defence. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't even really remember what the hell our defence was. I mean, in my mind, I had known that I had done it, you know what I mean? So it was basically like just trying to to wiggle my way out of it pretty much, you know what I mean? I mean, it was pretty much set in stone. There was really no way to say that I didn't do it. I mean, I was on camera. You know what I mean? Hitting this guy up like they had my gun, they had the bullets. Like there was really no way for me to be like, "Hey, man, I'm innocent." You know what I mean? So I 
throughout the whole thing, just kept my mouth shut. So that, I find that really interesting. So did at any point your attorney say to you, hey, they've given you this 10 years. If you don't take this 10 years, you could get 40 plus years here. Yeah, yeah, he did. He was like, he, he told me, he was like, man, he said, um, he, he told me, he said, you were really big for your first time. And he's like, and this was probably the best deal that you're going to get. And I was like, no, man, I'm not doing it. For one, I couldn't even fathom 10 years. Like at that point, you know what I mean? I hadn't done any extensive jail time or anything like that, you know? So to me, like, I mean, I'm 22 years old, man. So 10 years just seems just crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like astronomical number to me. And I was like, there's no way in hell that these guys are going to give me 10 years, man. I didn't even hurt anybody. You know what I mean? And uh, so, yeah, this, I didn't believe it at all. I was like, yeah, man, we, you know, we got this. Jamie turns down a plea deal of just 10 years and on good behaviour, he would have likely been out in eight. So in his current situation, that means he would have been out of jail two years ago. At the time though, his stubbornness and possible naivety of his situation meant that he would take his chances at trial, where he's not only found guilty, but also gets handed a sentence 35 years longer than the one he'd been offered, which as you can imagine, hits him like a ton of bricks. That was, um, it was, it was, that was a hard moment, man. I remember going back to my cell and I'm sitting there looking at the bricks on the wall, man, and I'm like, damn, man, this is like, this is the rest of my freaking life. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't know, it was a very, I just kind of became more resolved. I was like, okay, well then, like, if this is what I got to do, like, I'm, you know, further my agenda with what I'm doing now, man. I'm going to keep doing the gang shit, you know what I mean? That's all I really knew. So I'm going to continue doing this, man, and, like, anything's possible. Because at this point, what the fuck do I have to lose? You know what I mean? If someone's got to go, man, if something has to happen, well, I mean, I'm going to do it because I'm going to be here. You know what I mean? I was very lonely. I went through bouts of depression. You know what I mean? And like, I mean, I had all sorts of thoughts, man. You know what I mean? So the sentence is handed down and all that's left to do is place Jamie in a prison for him to serve that sentence. And Jamie, being the dedicated gang guy that he was, wanted to be right in the thick of the action. Well, <laughs> here's the funny thing. <laughs> so I was so adamant, and like, I'm going to be the biggest, baddest gangster in history. <laughs> so they were going to override me and send me to to, to minimum, uh, to, to medium custody, right? Because oh. they take you to classification facility and, and everything like this. And they're like, all right, Mr. Rogers, uh, it's your first time, you know, we're going to give you the opportunity to go to one of these medium facilities. And I'm like, no, man, send me to close custody. I want to go to Walla Walla. Whoa, whoa, like, what? what? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, man, send me to close custody. And uh, they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And so that's what they did. They, they had no problem doing it. So they shipped me out. I was there for a couple of months. And yeah, they sent me over to Walla Walla. And that's when I met Junior. The Washington State Penitentiary also known as Walla Walla, is a facility located in Walla Walla, Washington. It's the place that houses the most violent offenders in the state. With over 2,000 inmates, it's the second largest prison in Washington, which first opened back in 1886, 
which also makes it one of the oldest facilities in the country. It's had quite the colourful past, with many escape attempts over the years, including in 1997, when John Allen Lamb escaped by cutting through a plexiglass light fixture and then climbing through ductwork. He then climbed two razor wire fences without being detected, but was caught just a few hours later trying to hitchhike. The prison's also seen its fair share of violence and riots over the years. A guard was stabbed and killed in 1979. This put the facility into lockdown for almost five months, and a man named George Simmons would later be found guilty and sentenced to life. In 2012, two inmates would begin a fight which set off a chain reaction and saw others joining in using homemade prison weapons, also known as shanks, to attack one another. It would take 60 prison officers to get the violence under control, with four of those officers being injured in the fights. Just last year, a prisoner called Dave Cross, a man who was on death row before the death penalty was abolished in 2018, was found deceased in the showers at the facility. A suspect was quickly found and moved into isolation. As mentioned, the facility houses Washington's worst offenders, including a number of serial killers like the Green River Killer, a man who was convicted of the murder of 49 people. And Mr. Ridgeway, is it your desire to plead guilty to the 48 charges of aggravated murder in the first degree because you believe that you are guilty of each of those offences? Yes. Also, Jack Spillman, known as the Werewolf Butcher. So as you can tell, this is not a place that you would want to actively decide to go to. However... For a young, angry, ambitious gang guy like Jamie, it was the perfect place for him to go and try and build his reputation. So you literally had the option of going to a minimum security place, which is, you know, for, for I mean, it's not a holiday camp, but compared to what you're looking at, it's a, it's a much calmer facility, but you were of the mindset that, I've got 40 years, This is I'm, I'm a gang member, I'm going to go where the gangs are and where the action is and, and get stuck in. I've never been the fearful type of man. And mind you, I believe I believed in this. Yeah. And this is what was our, our, our headquarters. This is where all the big dudes are, you know what I mean? This is where, this is the hub for my gang, you know what I mean? This is where you go and you further your education. This is where you go and learn your discipline. This is where you go and you get refined and on point. This is where the badasses of the badasses go. This is like when you join the military, you know what I mean, and you want to be that pop dude, so you join the special forces, that was this for me. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you wanted to be a Green Beret growing up, so obviously this was your version of being a Green Beret. Yeah, pretty much. It helped fulfill that, that desire, you know? You know, obviously we're two completely different people. I mean, if I was going to prison and they said to me, we're sending you to minimum security, I'd be like, fantastic. That's brilliant. I could, come on, I could just go where, the, you know, where, where there's some people that have done some white-collar crime. That would be wonderful. Um, I would be absolutely, excuse, excuse my language, shitting myself if I was sent to a place where you were going. Yeah, I don't – I guess I didn't view it that way, man. Like, um, I've never really been as far as, like – I've never been like in fear for my own life. You know what I mean? Not to say that you were, I'm just saying like, um, like it just, I I don't know. I wasn't scared. You know what I mean? Like I've been through much, so much, 
throughout my whole entire life anyway. Like there's nothing that can happen here that's gonna that's gonna do anything worse than I haven't been through already. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I was just I was dead set on it. Jamie arrives at Walla Walla and is placed in a two man cell and instantly meets up with people he knows from the outside. He's also informed that he can essentially kiss any of his privileges goodbye. Yeah, yeah, it was two man cells. I ended up getting celled up with uh with somebody from my from my neighborhood actually. Somebody I hadn't met in an old homeboy of mine. And um yeah, he was my first cellie, man. So two man over there is like pretty much twenty three hour lockdown. You know, you get to come out, they have a level system over there. Um if you're level two you can come out for like an hour a day. Sometimes you get like a big yard and then a unit yard and then if you get your level one you come out like I don't know, like two or three times a day. But they told me when I arrived there that I was from, I'm from a, a different branch, but the same Hispanic gang that Junior's from. And so, like, um, they told me when I showed up there, like, man, kiss all your visits goodbye. Which, I mean, I didn't have anybody visit me at the time anyway. Like, I didn't have any family or anything like that. I've been on my own since I was 16, so visits wasn't an issue. They said, kiss all your good times goodbye. They said, don't plan on going to school. Don't plan on taking any classes because your ass is going to the hole. And the majority of my time at that institution ended up being in the freaking hole, man. As a gang member in prison, you are expected to do as you're told when you're told, to abide by the rules of the gang and do whatever it is you're asked to do. This inevitably leads to you getting written up. It's a black mark against your name. These write-ups see you lose the very last and few privileges that you have. Visitations, phone calls, mail, and, as Jamie says, spending time in the hole. The hole is essentially solitary confinement. It's a prison within the prison. These cells are typically seven by nine concrete boxes with a steel door and a slot where your food will be placed. You have a concrete bed and thin mattress with a toilet, and that's it. You'll be locked in there for 23 hours a day and be allowed a shower just once a week, with no contact with loved ones or anyone on the outside. You can hear other inmates, but you can't see them. I've been told by many inmates that have experienced the whole, if you want to try and experience it yourself, go to the smallest room in your home, which is usually your bathroom. Close the door and stay there. For 23 hours without speaking to or seeing anyone. For some, this can last weeks or months, and some have even been placed in the hole for up to a year. Eventually, you just become you become kind of accustomed to it. You know what I mean? After doing a few years, and like even when I was in the county jail, man, I was fighting all the time. You know what I mean? Because we'd go to court. And we would we would see our rival our rival gang members and we'd get down and then we go to the hole. And then you're locked in there by yourself, it's all taken five and then they let you back out. Then you go to court again, you see him again, you get down. It's just so at this time before I even got to prison, like I'm already starting to get accustomed to being by myself yeah. and you know, dealing with all the crazy mentalities that are in there. People banging on the walls all damn night, screaming, you know what I mean, and just yelling nonsense and just crazy shit, you know what I mean? And so I've already kind of I'm starting to adapt to this, you know what I mean? And uh, so it wasn't much different, really, 
Like then I'd go to the hole and then there'd be homeboys that had been in the hole for years and we're still functional. We're in the hole. We're still programming. We're still, you know, doing our education. We're still working out together. Like nothing really stops no matter where you go, you know? So with the gangs, did you sort of move up the ranks of the gang with inside the facility? I mean, I did all right, man. I ended up, before I ended up ending my career, I, um, where I was at, I ended up becoming second in command. Right. Okay. So, I mean, that was—is that what? So, first in command—is that what they would refer to as a shot caller in prison? Yeah. I do. I do love how you said before I ended my career. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, that's what we would call it, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. We looked at it as a job. Yeah. Much. You almost made CEO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I tell you what, hey, man, the retirement plan, I mean, was horrible. There was no benefits. <laughs> you know, no dental, no none of that. <laughs> so how does someone as entrenched in gang culture and that life, a guy who's second in command in the prison, suddenly decide to turn his life around? Well... Funnily enough, much like his mate, Junior Salas, it all started in the hole. Okay, so this is going to be a deep part of my story, man, because it's actually like the very, this is very pivotal, right? So actually, I, so I was still in close custody, and, um, you know, I was doing what I was doing or whatever, and so we get into this riot, like 68-man riot, and against, you know, another group of people, and it landed me about a year in the hole, and so they transferred me, and a bunch of other guys to the other side of the state and, um, you know, to go do our IMU programs over there. And as I'm sitting there, I'm still, I'm still functioning because they took a bunch of us and they took, took our homeboys, you know what I mean? And they put us, they just put us in a new, new facility, but we're still doing the same shit. You know what I mean? And so growing up, I've always been interested in like Eastern philosophy. You know what I mean? I've always been interested behind like the, the image of, of the Buddha monk, you know what I mean? And, and like Kung Fu and martial arts. And like, I don't know, I've always that a whole like mystic way of life. has always fascinated me. Right. So I had this homegirl that she was sending me letters from out on the streets and she asked me if I wanted any books. I was like, you know what, man, I have a year to sit here and do literally nothing. So send me a book on Buddhism. I had no idea what the hell it was. You know what I mean? But she sent it to me. And so I started reading this, this book, man. And, um, like it started teaching me about compassion. You know what I mean? It started teaching me like how to, how to think, how to use my brain. It started teaching me like I have a choice in the way that I think. And I learned how to meditate, man. And this, was like huge for me. Jamie finds himself starting to learn about emotions that we likely just take for granted. But for him, he'd never really experienced anything other than just anger and hatred. So growing up, man, I always thought that I was like, I was off my rocker, right? Like I was crazy because I was so fucking angry, man. Like I would wake up every day and all I could think about was hurting people. You know what I mean? Or like when I would look at somebody, like these schemes of how I could kill them would go on in my mind. You know what I mean? And like, I knew it wasn't right, but I just couldn't figure out like what the fuck was going on with me. Like, and I would talk to people, but the people I'm talking to are fucked up just like me. So like, oh yeah, that's just you. That's just, you know, you can't do nothing about it, man. There's something you're going to live with. And I'm like, nah, man, there's something wrong with me. I shouldn't be doing this. You know what I mean? And like, this is like the majority of my thoughts, bro. And, um, and like compassion was a concept that I've never fucking heard before. And I remember I'm sitting there, I'm pacing myself back and forth. I'm thinking about all these things that this little book is teaching me. And, um, 
I remember waking up and and pacing, and I'm just like, man, I'm so tired of waking up and being pissed off. You know what I mean? I'm just fucking mad all the time for nothing. You know what I mean? Like I didn't understand it, and um, I get this little jewel, man, this little jewel of a concept called compassion, and that, like, I started having compassion for myself, and I learned why I was pissed off. Buddhism and meditation had taught me how to trace my feelings of anger down to the very first time that I felt angry. Wow. Right. And taught me that I would, I am able to change these things, that I'm able to understand the reasons why I'm feeling the way I am, where they come from throughout my life and how I'm able to change them. And this was revolutionary for me because once I started understanding why I felt the way I fucking felt, like this huge weight just started dropping off of me, man. So I started meditating like four or five hours a day and like just, oh man, like I didn't know this about me and I didn't know this about me. You know what I mean? And like, oh, this is why I feel this way. Oh, okay, because of this, that's why I act like this. And mind you, growing up, I thought I was fucking insane. I didn't know that my brain, like I had power over this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there was this little thing that said that your brain is a tool for you to use, not the other way around. And that, like, just my, my little mind just freaking exploded. Boom, man. I was like, <laughs> no freaking way, dude. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know what I mean? And it's like, it started making sense to me. Like, yeah, you know what, man? This is a part of my body. Like, I should be able to control this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I started getting more books on how to rewire my brain. You know what I mean? And like, it just fascinated me. I became involved with this thing and I just started like just training myself, right? Jamie's not only starting to learn about things like compassion and where his anger comes from, but also another massive turning point for him would happen during a visitation that he wasn't expecting. It's crazy, bro, because like I started crying. You know what I mean? I started having emotions and shit and like started (laughs) feeling things. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember, I remember my mother, right? Still to the day, don't have a very good relationship with my mother, right? And uh, growing up, it wasn't all that good. And so they come over to the intercom, and they're like, Mr. Rogers, you have a visit. And I was like, no, man. I said, I don't even have anybody on my visiting list. Like, nobody talks to me, you know what I mean? You have the wrong guy. And they said, no, man, get ready. We're coming to get you. You have a visit. I was like, all right. They're just going to take me down there. They're going to turn me around, you know, and, uh, you know, realize they have the wrong guy. So I start getting ready and everything, and then they take me, and my mother and one of my sisters are sitting there. And I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing here? I haven't seen them since I was like, since I was young, you know? Yeah. And they just started talking to me, man, which is crazy. Like, I don't know, they just, because I don't ever talk to them. You know, they're not like a big part of my life, man. And they're just like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, you're a better person than this. Like, why? You know, like, what the fuck happened and all this other stuff? You know, they just started talking to me, man. And, uh, so since I was on the other side of the state, I was relatively close to them. So they started coming up and seeing me like every week. And, um, I remember I would go back to my cell, man. And like, like I started trying to repair my relationship with my mother, you know what I mean? Writing letters to her and bringing them to the visit. And like, like, you know, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. You know what I mean? And I forgive you for the things that you've done. Like I just want a relationship with you. Thank you for we using Securus. Goodbye. Ah, yes, the joys of the US prison system. That is how so many of my deep conversations end so abruptly sometimes. 
But don't panic, we will be back. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, Jamie will finish what he was trying to say and explain how he would get away from the gang. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. You may start the conversation now. Hello? Yeah, damn phone system. You just start getting real deep and into it, and then all of a sudden it's like, thanks for using Securus. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. I <laughs> know, uh, man. And so, anyway, so we're, we're pairing, man. We're working on it. And I tell her some of the books I've been reading, some of the concepts I've been learning, and like, you know, um, how I'm working on myself, you know, and she's happy with it. And so I go back to my cell and I remember one day, um, as I'm facing my cell, they bring out somebody who's a rival gang member and they put him in the day room in front of my cell. And like, they've done this before, right? Cause this is where we go out for our recreation. And I, before I would sit there and I would look at him and I'd be like, man, if I could get this door open, I could get to him this way. You know what I mean? Or if they fuck up and leave him like over here, and then they pop me out to go get my out time. I could rush over there and I can get him. You know, like I was putting on this fucking guy, man. And like, I would do this every time I would see him. But now my brain was changing. You know what I mean? And since I started understanding how I worked, it made me start seeing him as a human being. So I was sitting and I'm looking at him and I started asking myself, I'm like, damn, man. Like, I wonder if he went through some of the same shit that I went through. Like, I wonder what made him like become a gang member, man. And I, like, I wonder 
if he's as pissed off as I am, you know what I mean? I wonder like if he's as hurt as I am. And like, I really started just seeing him as a freaking human being, man. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, man, there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to keep doing this because now this guy who I've been thinking about killing, those feelings are going away from me. You know what I mean? They're losing meaning to me because now I see him as a freaking human being. And that's when I was like, what the fuck, man? I dedicated my whole life to this shit. And now I don't think I can do it anymore. That must be like, because as you said, you've dedicated your whole life to this. And now you're having these thoughts of like, well, I don't no longer want to look at this guy. and want to kill him. I now see him as a person. That almost must be a little bit frightening as well. Cause you, you must be thinking, well, if I don't have the gang, what do I have? Oh, very much so. I ended up going through an identity crisis for at least three years afterwards. Yeah. Like after I made the, actually made the decision to walk away, I was lost, bro. I didn't know who the hell I was. You know what I mean? And I was studying all sorts of stuff to try and find some sense of identity. And um, it took me a long time to, to like wrestle with that and, and come to peace with it, you know? So while you're learning these, you know, these things, the Buddhist teachings and reading the books, are you, are you keeping that from the gang? Because, I mean, from what I've learned from Junior, they're, they're not a fan of you learning stuff other than their own teachings. Oh, yeah, this is very much done by myself. I didn't talk to anybody about this. Yeah. I didn't tell nobody. You know what I mean? Because I, mean, I couldn't tell these guys. I'm running everything where I'm at. Like, I'm in charge of everything. I can't tell these guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm being super hypocritical, but I can't tell these guys, like, I'm having these thoughts. You know what I mean? It's like you're, it's like you're the CEO <laughs> of McDonald's, but you're sneaking away to have KFC. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just disrespectful. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it was my little secret, man. You know what I mean? And um, it was, but that in and of itself was like, it was a bitch for me, man, because I felt like, I started feeling like a piece of shit because I was like, man, like, you know, we're all in here, like, fighting for the same cause or whatever, you know, air quotes. But over here, like, I'm now I'm veering off somewhere else, but um, I was half-stepping at the time, you know what I mean? And, and that's not really my personality. I'm more of a full-in kind of guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, look at going back to our our sort of analogy of of the gangs being like a religion. It, it is, it, it's kind of like you know being a Christian and then suddenly having thoughts about either another religion or or atheism and and still going to church and and listening to the teachings. And in your mind, you're going, I just don't believe this anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, what really cemented my decision was when I had went to. So after the, after that little. Um, situation, right? When I started thinking differently is um, I started, you know, questioning whether I wanted to continue doing this or not. But what cemented my decision is when my mother had come and visited me and I told her what I was thinking. You know what I mean? I was like, mom, I think I'm done with this shit. And she looked at me and it was like one of the first times, like I can remember her smile, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she smiled and she was like, good, man. And I, I, my heart just started warming up, man. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a good decision. Yeah. And so then I, you know, I went about fucking removing myself from the situation. There's still this obvious issue of leaving the gang behind, which is never going to be easy, especially for someone as high up as Jamie was. Here's a guy who's been enforcing the rules, someone who's lived and breathed this life. He's now about to turn his back on it. And in these gangs, that's never taken lightly. In fact, it can be extremely dangerous. Well, that's just something, so I analyzed that, right? I, I, I knew I knew the consequences of my decision when I had made them. You know what I mean? I, 
is there a chance that, that some severe repercussions might happen? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. But, I mean, that was the chance anyway in the life I was living. You know what I mean? And how do I say this? I closed a lot of doors and I opened a lot of new ones. But that's just something, man, that's just something you, you know, that's something that I have to live with, bro. It's like, I don't know. It is, it is what it is. So, do, do, I mean, do you just speak to the authorities at the prison and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm done with this stuff. Can you move me somewhere? I mean, do you, do you talk to the other gang members and say, I'm done with this? How did you work with that? Well, me, I, I went to the authorities and told them that I was done. And they tried fucking laughing me off. <laughs> They're like, yeah, right. And I was like, no, man, I'm fucking done. You know what I mean? And um, so then they're like, well, I had to give them my word that I wasn't just bullshit. And you know what I mean? And that if I wanted to fucking go over to this facility, that like I would stay out of trouble. I wouldn't pursue any politics. I wouldn't do any underhanded shit. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that I would keep my, my, my nose clean. And, um, so, yeah. And so I told him, yeah, I'm done, man. I don't want to do this anymore, man. Like, I'm cool, you know. With Jamie going to authorities and telling them that he's done with the gang life, you can imagine it's approached very cautiously because ultimately where they'll be sending him is a facility that's housing other ex-gang members. Of course, we know that he's being genuine, but at the time, authorities don't know if this is just a ploy to maybe get to someone in another facility. But they decide to take a chance on him. Yeah, absolutely. So some people, they give they give a chance and some people they're more severe with, you know what I mean? And some people, they're like, uh, well, okay, we're going to allow you to do this and if you mess up, like, we're sending you back to Walla. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's not, it's a justice system, bro. You know what I mean? These guys aren't like, you um, know, altruistic and all this. I'm like, they take chances, bro. You know what I mean? And they'll, sometimes they even finagle something. They'll try and sweeten up a deal. Like, listen, hey, man, if you come over here to keep peace for us, you know, we'll let you do whatever the hell you want. Just make sure that nothing cracks off. You oh, know what I oh, mean? Wow. Like, it's not, yeah, it's not all beautiful, man, you know? Unlike almost all the men and women I speak with, Jamie was recently handed an incredible lifeline. He was successful in having time taken off his sentence. Yeah, in, uh, what was it, 2018, I believe, I got 30 years back. Got 30 years back? Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm at the facility I'm at now. I'm going home here in five years now. In total, let me let me correct my statement. So in total, I got 30 years back. So I went, I won my first appeal, and they gave me like eight years back or something like that. And then I won my second appeal, and they offered me a deal. On my first appeal, they dropped all my drive-by shooting charges. And then on my second appeal, they gave me zero time on all my first-degree assaults and had me signed for 15 years in firearm enhancements. So I think that's quite that's quite incredible that you've won two appeals because I speak to so many people you know every single week that are that are put through appeals and they get denied or just ignored or um, you know the system is just like whatever yeah. you know get on with it when we're not interested. So how on earth do you do you win an appeal you know not once but twice? Because <laughs> I'm very fortunate. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. very thankful. Man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, um, just got in I front mean, of the right people. Yeah, man, I guess, you know, some counties, man, they just chump stuff up so much. Like, you know what I mean? If they were willing to give me 10 years from the gate, they know damn well 45 years wasn't going to stick. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I guess that's not the case for everybody because that didn't happen for Jamie. So you'll, be, you'll have done 15 know, years in total by the time you, you were released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
which I mean, in the scheme of things, is you know, I mean, you've still you've lost a hell of a lot of your life, and you you know that's those years you can't get back. But in the scheme of things, compared to what you were facing, yeah. I mean, that just must be such a relief. Yeah, man, absolutely. I didn't think I, I would have been an old man if I would have made it my entire sentence, but I didn't think I was going to get out. You know what I mean? Like I had become pretty much resolved for the fact that this is the rest of my freaking life. And now, like even now, like I can look, I have a window now. You know what I mean? Like I can look outside and see the street, bro. It's crazy. I get, I get to watch people walk down the street. It's freaking crazy, man. And my mind, in my mind, it's still hard to believe like, hey, I can knock down that street here. So I can get one of those cars I'm looking at right now. They got like some Trans Am or something out there. <laughs> and I can go and drive that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, my mind can't still fully like accept that. You know what I mean? If you could talk to that young guy, that sort of 20 year old, back then who was, you know, doing what he was doing, what would you say to your younger self? Believe that you have a good heart, man, and that you're not, you're not bad. And believe in your potential, man, because you deserve a whole hell of a lot more than what you've been given in life and that your life actually matters to a lot of people and that many people actually love you. You know, that's what I would tell myself, man, and that, you know, you're a great person, man. Do you think you would have listened to you? Mm, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie has a young 13-year-old son on the outside who he says he has been lucky enough to stay in contact with due to his former partner and her husband going out of their way to make sure he remains part of his life. He's looking forward to spending lost time with him and says his experiences in life means that he has important lessons that he is able to teach his own son. And not only that, the change he's made in himself means that he can actually be there to show love and support to his own son. Man, I appreciate the opportunity, man, and, you know, I, I, I hope it helps. But I'm not going to lie, I was a little apprehensive at first. I was like, oh, man. There's a possibility the whole world's going to know my life story. <laughs> but, <laughs> the amount of people I speak to who we, it starts off very sort of, not cold, but it's tough for people to talk about themselves, you know, uh, and eventually, you know, they turn around and yeah. they're like, oh, that was just, you know, it's almost cathartic to sort of get it all off and, and just talk about it. And talking is, is such a powerful thing. I agree because sometimes that's all people need, man. They just need somebody to listen. That's it. Like nine times out of ten. That's all you need. 100%. Absolutely. We all just need to be heard. And, you know, and that's half the reason why I, I started doing this because, you know, I think all too often men and women who are, are put into incarceration are are forgotten by the world and you know people have this opinion that well if they're there they're there for a reason and that's where they should stay obviously there you know there's different stories and there's certain people that are incarcerated that do belong there and, and that sort of stuff but when you're talking about America which has got the highest incarceration rate in the world you've got over 20,000 people who are wrongfully convicted and and that sort of stuff you know I just don't believe it's that black and white yeah absolutely man well I appreciate it and I, and I agree with, with what you said really about all of it you know what I mean is that people, I agree some people deserve to be here, but I also think that people are capable of change and I believe in people's potential. I also appreciate your work, man, and giving voice to, to those people who are in here. You know what I mean? Because often we are forgotten and often sometimes we're not seeing, we're seeing less than human when we're struggling with some, with some of the same shit that you guys are struggling out there. 
more often than not, we can find more common ground and things to relate upon than differences. I want to stay in touch and, and keep chatting and, and just see how you're going, man. And hopefully this show is still happening when you uh, get released and we can we can do a show uh, with you on the outside. Yeah, it's very cool as hell, man. And yeah, and absolutely, man. I'm all for staying in contact. Beautiful. All right. Well, look, Jamie, thanks, yeah. so, thanks so much for, for being, again, being so honest and open about your story and, uh, and chatting with me, bro. I really, really do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for your work, and, and, and I appreciate the opportunity, man. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that it helps. All right, man. You have a good one. You too, man. Stay safe. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. See All you. right. Bye. You have one minute remaining. This is the story of Jamie Rogers for now. And we will, of course, keep in touch with him. And hopefully, upon his release, OMR will still be around and we'll be able to bring you an episode with him on the outside. So for the past over 80 episodes of this show, we've spoken with men and women incarcerated in the United States. One of the biggest requests I've received over the last few months is for me to talk to an Australian. Now, as I've said many times, speaking with incarcerated men and women in Australia is very difficult and involves a lot of red tape. But that doesn't stop me talking to a former inmate of the Australian prison system. My name is Henry Keogh. I was charged and convicted uh, for murder, murder of my fiancé. I received a sentence of uh, life, the minimum uh, non-parole period of 25 years. Henry Keogh was incarcerated for over 20 years for the murder of his fiancée. A murder he says he did not commit. Henry talks me through just what happened on that fateful evening, as well as his 20 years trying to clear his name and just survive in the prison system. I uh, was led into my cell in E Division, which was a two-hour. The the guy I was sold up with had uh, been out on uh, exercise uh, he came in, I said, oh, good mate. No answer. I said, hi. No answer. I said, oh. Turned around and said, I've been told I'm going to give you a, a kicking. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network.